Numbers 32 and 13, if you would join me there. And the Lord's anger was kindled against Israel. And he made them wander in the wilderness 40 years. He made them wander in the wilderness 40 years. Until all the generation that had done evil in the sight of the Lord was consumed. I know you're probably already encouraged by the reading of the word. The Lord's anger was kindled against them, so God made them wander in the wilderness for 40 years until he got some things out of them that needed to be out of them. He had to expose some things in the wilderness. I'm going to preach to you today. I have just a simple little thought on my heart today. I want to preach to you about 40 years of what could have been. 40 years of what could have been. You may be seated in Jesus' name. So I want to begin this morning with a preface. I just want to hit this kind of one time and then we'll move on to where we're going. But I want to say to you that I understand in the scripture there are some things that just have to transpire the way they do. In other words, I believe that when God brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, I believe that it was in the mind of God for them to be in the wilderness for 40 years. As a matter of fact, the Bible alludes to the idea that God could have taken them a shorter way. But he said that he took them the long way, lest peradventure they would see war and, and repent and would want to go back to Egypt. So my point very simply is that I believe one way or the other, they, they perhaps would have been in the wilderness for 40 years regardless. But there's some things that transpire in this narrative as it unfolds before us that during the process of God trying to do such amazing things among his people, I want you to think of all the things that were established in the wilderness. The priesthood, the law of sacrifice, the tabernacle. All of the things that were there that we could preach all day long today. The value and the power of what God exposed. Yet while God was trying to speak to his people. Even while Moses was in the mountain. They were forming idol gods. That were made of gold. While God was trying to work in their midst. They are performing idolatry while, the, while it's coming out of the mouth of God. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. You look back over the past of the children of Israel and you can see that even in their bondage the hand of God was on them deeply. That while it appeared as though they were slaves to their taskmasters in Egypt, we can see very, very plainly that even though they were in Egypt, God never abandoned them. God never left them. They may have been under the thumb of the Egyptians, but they were under the hand of God. There may have been some things they went through that they did not understand, but God never lifted his hand off of them, and God never left them without help. You can believe it how you want to believe it, but... I still believe that even in the midst of Egypt that when they would call on the name of the Lord that he would hear them and he would answer them. I believe that even in the midst of their trouble and what seemed to be chaos at times that God was still a God of order and he knew right where they were. I've come to preach to somebody on this Sunday morning that you may feel like you're on the backside of God's mind and God doesn't know where you are and the things that you're facing God has no clue, but I want to tell you that even in the midst of your chaos, God is present. God may not be saying anything to you, but he's there. The enemy wants us to believe that the absence of his voice is the absence of his presence. But I found that when God is not speaking, he's usually working the most. You know... I always thought it was unfair when I was a kid that while I was taking a test and I needed the answer that when I would raise my hand, the teacher would never give me a response while I was in the middle of a test. Because teachers don't answer questions in the test. Some of you are wondering why you haven't heard from God and I want to tell you, you're just about to pass. 
You're just about through the test. Well, pastor, if God would just give me a word, let me just remind you of something today. God gave you a word before you went in. He told his disciples when they stepped on the boat before they ever got on the boat, he said, let us go to the other side. But in the middle of the test, they forgot the word that God had spoken to them in Jesus Christ before they got on the boat. I feel like telling somebody here today that before you ever came to it, God gave you what you needed to bring you through it. God has not abandoned you. He may not be talking, but he hasn't forgotten you. And as you look at the plan of God unfold in their lives, you can see that God's hand was on them. God was speaking in ways that they weren't picking up on. And so we could walk through all of the things that transpired towards the end when God was getting Moses to let them go. And there's so, so much. I wish I had the time to talk to you about how God established things and raised things up. And he takes this mother who has a baby and he's got... Two midwives that, uh, that refused to uh, kill the Hebrew boys that were born. And you, you can just see the hand of God and how the Lord is working. And he saves this one little boy whose mother thought that to save his life she would put him in the bulrushes. And, and then just by coincidence, as some would have us to believe, then Pharaoh's daughter hears the crying voice of this baby. And then by coincidence, she's able to find... This mother, this Hebrew mother that would be a wet nurse to him. and What a coincidence, right? It's like, it's just a coincidence that all of this just transpires the way it does. Anybody that's got half of a spiritual mind knows that it's not coincidental at all. God may not have been speaking, but he was working. I'm preaching this so somebody will get it before you leave here today. He may not be speaking, but he is still working. You may not be hearing his voice, but he's still working. Pastor, it's been so long since I've heard his voice, but I want to tell you, you felt his hand. You may not have known it, but you felt his hand. Somebody in here today who felt like you were at the end of your rope, I want to tell you, you may not have heard his voice, but you felt his hand. And God raises up this boy. This boy's got truth. Hebrews reveals some things to us. The writer of Hebrews in Faith's Hall of Fame so powerful it said that Moses refusing to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter determined in his heart that he would suffer the afflictions of Christ always love that right there how somehow in Hebrews the writer who I believe is perhaps Paul is saying that Moses in the Old Testament in the Exodus chose to suffer the afflictions of Christ Moses was well acquainted with that rock in the wilderness and he was well acquainted with who God was even in Egypt. As a matter of fact, I believe that Moses' revelation of who God was couldn't have been what it was if he hadn't have been where he was. Am I making any sense to anybody? Because sometimes you have to go through some things for God to truly be revealed to you of being what he is. I'll, can I preach this morning? You would have never known that he was a healer if you wouldn't have been sick in your body. You would have never known him to be a deliverer if you wouldn't have been stuck in Egypt. Turn to your neighbor this morning and tell him, God cannot undo what you have not been through. You may be questioning the plan of God today and wondering why in the world am I having to go through this. But let me help you understand that on the other side of this trial that you're in, you're going to come forth as gold. And there's going to be a revelation of who he is that could not have come to you if he had not revealed himself to you in the middle of this. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying that the Son of Man is revealed in the fiery furnace. I'm saying that God is revealed in the lion's then sometimes you've got to go through it to know the power of God we all believe in the ministry of extraction that's what we really desire when we call on him the ministry of extraction is what we want God take the storm away God move the mountain God take the enemy move it and, and as soon as we get in man we're funny because We've got these scriptures that we really like as Pentecostals. And, and we'll even move them out of context as long as it feels right in prayer. We, when the enemy comes against us, we just stand up and say, oh, let God arise. 
and his enemies be scattered. Well, here's the thing. This is your enemy. This is not necessarily God's enemy. Let God arise and let his enemies be scattered. Just because you made somebody mad at you doesn't mean they're God's enemy. Oh, you, you can be seated. <laughs> can I tell you right now that I get myself in way more trouble than God's ever got me in? I've made more people mad at me than God's ever made mad at me. And so we, we, we like to take the word of God and we kind of like to use it a little bit. I hate to use the word manipulate it, but boy... Sometimes we're, we're, we're really good at it. And, I, and to be quite honest with you, if there's not a scripture for it, we'll blame it on the word. <laughs> I grew up hearing it all my life. Well, you know, the word of the Lord says he'll never put more on you than you can bear. No, that was actually your grandmother that would say that. <laughs> That's not in the word of God. It's nowhere in the scripture that God will never put more on you than you can bear. As a matter of fact, I have found it at times... That I think he puts a little bit more on me than I can bear so that I'll trust in him. Well, P Pastor, that, that, it's, it's in the Bible. I know I've seen it before that, that God won't put more on you than you can bear. You know, the only place that's found at all, even alluded to in the scripture, is when it's referring to temptation. He said, you will never be tempted above what you are able, but God. How many of you know he's faithful? The Bible said he's going to make a way that when you are tempted, wherever there is temptation, there will also be a way of escape. But what happens is we usually miss that exit. And then we get ourselves in a mess and we start quoting that old scripture again. Well, he'll never put more on me than I can bear. When I was a boy, I used to hear the old timers that sometimes they'd say, well, you know, the word of God said that God moves in mysterious ways his wonders to perform. Well, he may work in mysterious ways and there may be wonders to perform, but it's not in the book. And I'm going to tell you what else is not in the book. It's not in the book that every trial and trouble you go through that he's going to move it out of your way. Yeah, 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 but, 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 but pastor, the Bible said that you could say to this mountain, be thou removed and be cast into the sea. And I believe some mountains are meant to be moved for my faith to be built. But you can ask, you can ask Abraham, I also believe some mountains are meant to be climbed so that I can see God as my provider. God doesn't move every mountain, but you can guarantee one thing, Abraham. If you're willing to walk with him up the front side of the mountain, God is going to send an answer up the back side of the mountain. But if you don't climb the mountain, you'll never see the provision. I'm trying to help somebody here this morning. And so, you're going to go through some things. You're going to experience some things. I, I, I don't know where it really comes from, the concept comes from, but to be quite honest with you, I, I truly believe it's a work of the enemy that makes us believe in some way, shape, or form that when we give our lives to God, that all of a sudden everything becomes easier. The truth of the matter is that when you give your life to God and you start trying to do the best that you can do, you can guarantee that every force that can rise against you is going to rise against you. When we read through the scripture, you know, again, we can grab it and move it and manipulate it and kind of work it around to make us feel better. But I, I, I want to stand on the word for what it is, not what I want it to be. And, and when people start going through troubles, they'll, you know, they'll start, quote, no weapon formed against me shall prosper. And I, man, we've preached it and preached it and preached it. And it's true. No weapon formed against us is going to prosper. But the fact is, there will be weapons formed. He doesn't guarantee the weapon won't be formed. He guarantees that there will be no prosperity in the weapon. The prophet Micah said, rejoice not against me. Oh, my enemy. Now, I wish this wasn't there, but, but it's there. He said, win. Somebody shout, win. Well, but if, but if you're saved and you got the Holy Ghost, you, you, you're, you're not going to fall. Brother Stephen spoke of it in class this morning. It said the tzaddik, the, the righteous man, the just man, 
He falls seven times, but he rises up again. Listen, I want to tell you, you have let the devil beat your brains out over and over and over again because you're a human being. You're going to make mistakes and you're going to fall and you're going to be humbled at times. There's going to be times that your foot is going to slip and you're going to make a mistake. But I do want to remind the enemy today, don't you start rejoicing. Because when I fall... I shall, oh, I wish somebody would preach it right now. I shall arise. I wish I could stand before you today and tell you that my faith is perfected and that when I go through things, I never have questions for God. I know some people think that your pastor prays in tongues eight days a week and Walks around floating six inches off the ground. If there's anybody here that believes that, it'd probably just be my grandmother. (laughs) But the truth of the matter is, we were all born the same way. And I don't care if you're born rich, born poor, doesn't matter. You're going to go through some stuff. And when you go through some stuff, you're going to have some questions. And just because you haven't had answers to your questions, the enemy will start beating you in the brains and saying, well, where's God now? Why isn't he answering now? Now, I'm not going to have anybody raise their hands because we sure don't want to be exposed to your human nature in here today. But is there anybody in here that's ever been in a season of life and you try to go to prayer and you don't feel anything? You try to pray and it's like the heavens are brass. And you'll throw your head back and say, now, probably not anybody in here, but let me tell you about me. And you throw your head back and you say, God, where are you? Where'd you go? Here I am in the middle of this struggle and where are you? You're not talking. You're not speaking. You're not moving. Now, I I just want to interject this here, and if if you're happy right now and this makes you unhappy, then we'll just get you back happy in the same britches you got mad in. But it's funny because we'll come to church, cross our arms, sit there, have have our bottom lip dragging the ground when we walk in, and then we'll say, God, I didn't feel a thing. Music's playing, and we're like, eh. I don't like this preacher. I don't like this worship leader. This is not my kind of song. Then we go to prayer and say, God, why am I not feeling anything? Every now and then, you got to bring a sacrifice of praise. I'm not praising him because I feel him. I'm not praising him because I heard him. I'm praising him because he's worthy. I'm not praising him because I came through the trouble. I'm praising him because I know he is near to me in the trouble. So sometimes in the darkness of the night, you just got to look for some signs, you know. Just got to kind of look for some signs. Got to look for some things. And so the children of Israel have lived over 400 years in slavery. And now, now it's like hope has come. And this guy that coincidentally was spared by God and coincidentally was brought up in the house of Pharaoh. Just all these coincidences are so amazing. It's, it's just powerful to see how all these coincidences are And the next thing you know, God takes him out into the wilderness. And he had to go through some things to get there. And we don't have time to talk about all of that. And, you know, seeing uh, these people murdered. And then then he goes out and he's trying to hide. And in the backside of the desert, this is is times that I like when you want to hear from God. And you can't hear from God. And then you try to hide from God. And God starts talking. He goes out in the backside of the desert. And the, the voice of the Lord says, hey, pick yourself up, son. Get your lip off the ground. I want to talk to you a little bit. Me? Yeah, I want to talk to you. I'm fixing to send you back in there and you're going to be a deliverer. Who am I? You're the deliverer. I'm going to raise you up. It's going to happen. Yeah, but I'm not worthy. Well, welcome to the club. Amen. Man, I, lo- I, lo- I love to give y'all compliments, but I just want to tell you today, don't take this offensive. There's nobody in this room that's worthy. This ain't about being worthy. This is about an almighty God that can pick you up in spite of your mistakes and in spite of your failures and in spite of your faults. 
Is there anybody in here that knows what I'm talking about this morning? He don't love me because I'm perfect. He loved me because he created me. And he wants communion with me. Yeah, but pastor, you stand up there today in your pretty little suit and you got it all together. And, it, you know, you got, man, it's all right. Your family, they don't have trouble. You, you, you guys live in a different world. No, I live in the same world that you live in. And this is what I know. If it wasn't for his mercies, I would have been consumed a long time ago. But because of his goodness, he picked me up out of the miry clay. He established my feet on the solid rock. He turned me in the right direction. And because of who he is today, I am who I am. I'm about to send you back into Egypt and you're going to bring my people out. Me? Yes. Do you think I raised you up in Pharaoh's house just so you could walk around with a pen on that says you're a delegate and you walk into all the rooms and you get a special discount? Moses, I raised you up so that you could bring them out. I wish that God would help somebody in here realize today that all the blessings of God that are on your life are not just so you can say you're blessed. But everything that God has bestowed on you, God is going to use that to help you bring somebody out. But you just don't understand where I've been. No, but God does. And I've got a feeling today that God is about to let your pathway start intersecting with some people that you can minister to, that I can't minister to. God's going to send you to people that know where you've been. And I may not know where you've been. Oh, my. I feel my help in here right now. There's somebody in this room today that knows what it feels like to be delivered from alcoholism. And God's going to send you to that desperate alcoholic. And you're going to tell him if he did it for me, he can do it for you. Let me hurry this morning. Sometimes you got to look for signs that God's working. So Moses comes back into Egypt and he said, well... You're going to go to talk to Pharaoh, and when you talk to him, you're going to say, hey, the Lord said, let my people go. And Well, who shall I say? Send me. Tell him I am that I am sent you. When you walk in, you're on my name. Oh, thank God. He walks in. He said, hey, uh, Pharaoh, I am that I am sent me. And he said, let my people go. Everybody's holding their breath, waiting on the miracle. And guess what? Pharaoh said, nope, sorry. Excuse me? God sent me here to take to let my people go. He said, no. Now, when you read this, it's unfair because Moses didn't get to read the book of Exodus, just so you know. And the scripture said that it was God that hardened Pharaoh's heart. Now, let, let, let me get this straight. I'm here on a mission from God, but God is going to harden Pharaoh's heart where he won't hear what the word of the Lord said. Yep. You got your seatbelts on? And it was all the will of God. It was the will of God to see if you walk in the first time and you don't get the answer that you were looking for. Oh, God, I feel like preaching in here right now. Yeah, but God sent me here. And I'm telling you, God said to let us go. And Pharaoh said, sorry, bud, not going to happen. And it was the will of God for him to get a no. Sometimes the no you receive is the test to see how bad you want a yes. Sometimes God's got to let you walk through a season of no's to see how bad you're willing to hang on until you get a yes. But I prayed last week, Pastor. I prayed, and my kids still aren't here. I prayed, and my, my marriage still isn't healed. I prayed, and it hasn't happened yet. Sometimes God just wants to know how bad do you want it. Are you willing to come back and ask one more time? Are you willing to come back and pray one more time? Are you willing to lay down in that prayer closet one more time? I want to encourage somebody in the Lord this morning. you got to go back one more time. You're going to have to pray until God moves. God said, I'm going to harden his heart. And when I harden his heart, not only am I going to not let your people go, but I'm fixing to send some plagues to this land. But God, that's not fair. So God gives him a word in the wilderness. 
sends him back in. And if you read through the story, through the narrative yourself, you're going to find out when God's speaking from this point right here, it's usually not what Moses wants to hear. But as God kind of becomes more quiet, he starts working through signs when his voice isn't being heard. And the scripture said that the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and then he sent a plague. Now I'm going to go as quickly as I can through these, but in this first plague he turns the Nile into blood. Well, that, I mean, how, how does God speak through that? I, I, I don't understand how's, how is God working through that. Here I am trying to obey the will of God and this plague's going on everywhere around us. How, how, is, this, how is this the will of God? What you find out if you study Egyptian theology and their, idea, their ideology of gods, you're going to find out that they worshiped a plethora of gods. And the first plague of the river being turned into blood was God's response to the Egyptian god whose name was Num. Num was the god of the river. The God of the river and God was telling the Egyptians, although the Israelites thought God was being silent, God was speaking to the Egyptians and saying, Noom is not the God of this river. I'm the God of this river. And then he sends frogs and they're like, oh, how disgusting. Now this, you know, folks, I don't want to get stuck here, but I'm just going to tell you, I could handle a lot of the plagues if I had to, but this one right here is just about more than I think I could handle. Frogs, you do understand if you read the context of the scripture, there were so many frogs that as people laid in their homes and tried to close their eyes and go to sleep, that maybe they had a little, little sinus issue going on so they sleep with their mouths open. <laughs> oh, yeah. See, I think more of you got that than anything I've preached all day. Wake up and there's a frog stuck in your mouth. Crawling around in your ears. Crawling up by your nose. God is in this. But I want to tell you what God, you, you, you may not hear what he's saying. But God was speaking to the Egyptians about the God whose name was Hect. H-E-Q-T. Hect. He was a frog, uh, frog-headed. She was a frog-headed goddess of resurrection. And God was letting the Egyptians know this goddess that you worship that is part frog and part goddess, like you need to understand, she's not in control. All of the lice came and, 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 and their heads, man, this is, this is something else. You know, Janice and Jambres, they're, they're, they're working the magicians, the Egyptian magicians. I wish I could tell you about them, but it's unbelievable how this is working. And I'm like, God, I, I, I don't get it. Like lice, well, listen, you got to understand there were some rules that were in play here. And the Egyptians had this rule that they couldn't sacrifice to their gods if their heads were covered in lice. And so right in the middle of this plague, the, the, the Israelites think God's quit speaking, but the Egyptians get it loud and clear. Your God can't receive your sacrifice because our God has covered your head with lice. Are you with me this morning? So all of these maggots start forming on everything. Maggots. Everywhere you could imagine, there's maggots crawling on every piece of meat, on, on, on the milk jug for your baby. Maggots everywhere. And wherever the maggots are, then there starts to be the buzzing of, of flies. Don't you love that on a summer morning? When your whole house is asleep, but there's one fly that refuses to let you? Roll over and like, man, I'm going to sleep good. You pull the cover up and leave just your nose hanging out so you can breathe. And that sucker. <laughs> God's not speaking. There's flies everywhere. There's maggots. This is sickening. It's disgusting. And I haven't heard a word from God, but the Egyptians hear it loud and clear. Anybody in here ever heard of Beelzebub? The God of the flies. God said, I know the Beelzebub, your God, always has flies buzzing around his ears. But let me help you understand something. Beelzebub's not your creator, and he don't have power. So go ahead and call on Beelzebub, and you're going to find out 
He's not the Lord of the flies. He's not the Lord of anything. So now the livestock starts getting sick. The children of Israel are like, man, I thought God was going to get us out of here. And I thought this, you know, I mean, seriously. What, what, what in the world are we going to do about all this? And the livestock starts falling over dead. And, and, and we realize if we look at their theology, this is punishment against the god Apis, who was the god of the sacred bull. And the Lord starts speaking through the plagues to the Egyptians. While the children of Israel can't hear the voice of God. The Egyptians are seeing the hand of God. And they're seeing that the God who Moses worships is the true God. And he is the God that will answer by fire. The boils come on their flesh. The children of Israel stand back saying, now why is God, why, why is this going on? And the Lord lets us see very clearly that the boils were opposed to the God Imaheth. Who was the God of miracle cures. And when the boils came on them. The Egyptians would scream out. Emma help please help us. But there was no help. But the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob said. I'll show you who's in control. It was said then that hailstones came upon them. Now they worshipped a goddess. A sky goddess by the name of Newt. And it was Newt who should have brought the hailstones. And the storms and the clouds. But when they called on Newt. Nothing happened because. Newt is not the master of the wind. I know the master of the wind. The enemy wants you to believe that he has the power to bring the storm in your life. But I want to tell God, I feel like helping somebody in here right now. It was not Newt that had the power to stop the wind. It's the hand of Almighty God. And when the locusts came and began to devour the grain, the Egyptians heard it loud and clear. It is not Nepri, the God of the harvest, that's going to stop this. The God of the grain. It's going to be the hand of God. And darkness comes over the land. And this was against Ray, who was the God of the sun. And the Lord said, I want you to understand, it was not Ray that created the sun and the moon and the stars. It was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and you may not be hearing my voice, but I am exposing you to my hand. And then on that last night, the firstborn was attacked. The firstborn of every home that didn't have the blood applied. They weren't covered in the blood and full of the lamb. I don't know where you're at in your walk with God today, but before you leave here, you better be sure that you're covered in the blood and you're full of the lamb. The Bible said that the Lord's hand passed through the land that night. And the firstborn of every home that wasn't covered in the blood and full of the lamb. That the firstborn child of that home would die. And that's when they realized there's only one who is the giver and the taker of life. But where is God in the midst of this? Now I'm fixing to preach to you about where we're at today, church. I feel this strongly moved in my spirit to preach to you about this today. Some will look at the ten plagues and say it was just God showing the Egyptians that he was the all God and he was the one that was in power. And I understand that. But those ten plagues were not just for the Egyptians. Those plagues were as much for the children of Israel as they were the Egyptians. God had to get them sick of being in Egypt if they were going to leave Egypt. We believe in our running around here. And I want to tell you something about what I'm preaching to you today. I hope you've got your seatbelts on. I want you to stay fashioned right where you are right there because I'm about to preach to you. I don't want you to be disheartened, okay? But I'm going to preach to you. I was in prayer this week. I'm not going to go into the depths of it, but my wife can tell you we fought great spiritual opposition. As we went into Europe, we faced great spiritual opposition. In the middle of the night, sicknesses coming out, weird things. I got, I got so dizzy one night. I, I rolled over and got so dizzy. The whole room started spinning. I, I thought I was going to get sick and got up and went to the restroom. I'm, I'm in the restroom on the floor. And my wife is, uh, I, I'm, I'm kneeling in front of the porcelain God. Because I'm just sure I'm going to be sick. You know, my, my, the whole room's spinning. My wife comes in. If they, if they could only see us in all of our glory. My wife's on the bathroom floor with her hands on the back of my legs. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. The dizziness went away and I stood up. And I'm like, I think I'm all right. And she went back in there and laid down. She said, baby, you're pale as a ghost. I, th I think I'm all right. I walked out. She shut the lights off. And I walked back out and went to go to my bed. I felt fine. 
I got about three or four feet from my bed, and I, I took one step, and when I did, I stepped into that chaos and dizziness. I felt it. The whole room started spinning. I'm like, oh, God, here it comes again. So I took a step backwards, and when I took a step backwards, I walked out of it. I took a step backwards, and all of a sudden, the room stopped spinning. And without taking another step, I fell down at the feet of my bed, and I said, in the name of Jesus Christ. This does not belong to you. I'm a child of God. And you will not exercise dominion over me. And God will be glorified in this meeting. And I began, I began to read. I, 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 I wish so bad that I could tell you all the details. But listen to me. I felt the spirit of fear come over me. That I was a long ways away from my children and from my church family. And all of this chaos that's going on around the world. And uh, I, I don't, I don't want to get into too much of this, but I'm going to tell you, America's in a weak place when our airspace can be invaded the way that it is. If, if, if You know, I'm a pilot, and one of the things they teach you in, in your pilot training, don't ever bust a restricted airspace. If you, if you do, there's a possibility you're going to go to jail, lose your pilot privilege for the rest of your life. I said the other day, I said, man, it's something else. If I bust airspace, they'll take my pilot's license for the rest of my life, but a foreign government can bust our airspace and just... I thought, God, what in the world are we going to do? If, if, if we got balloons and whatever else, all this chaos is flying around, and the Lord quickened my spirit and he said, did I not say there would be signs in the heavens and signs in the earth? Church, I want to tell you something. There's going to be wars and rumors of wars. Earthquakes in diverse places. This isn't Pentecostal rhetoric. This is the words of the Messiah. I've come to this house to preach to you today. That for the first time in all of our lifetimes, we saw a pandemic, a global pandemic that was created by the hands of men. This was plagues. Pestilence. We're seeing it happen. We're seeing it transpire. Oh God, what are we going to do? The same thing that we did in 2020. We're going to keep glorifying God. Oh, well, what, 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 what if they keep invading our airspace? Oh my Lord, what are we going to do? Oh, oh God, oh, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Listen, I'm going to tell you something. We're going to have to come to grips with some things. There's a lot in this life we can't control. There's going to be a lot of things unfold if the Lord withholds His coming for the next five or ten years that we're not going to be able to control. I'm not here to talk pre, post, or mid with you, but I'm here to tell you that whether the Lord comes back before tribulation or you think tribulation's already started, we're going to see some things happen. And you're going to have to make up your mind on a morning that it's legal for you to worship God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you walked in here without anybody telling you you couldn't. You're going to have to make up your mind while you can right now that you're going to do it even if they tell you you can't. I'm not going to name who it is. He's a very close friend of mine. I called him when all the chaos was going on with the cuss word 19 and all that stupid junk. We were going to keep having church and I called him. I, I had a circle of people that I called on a weekly basis, sometimes daily, saying, what are we going to do? What are you going to think? What are you thinking? I, I said, hey, you going to have church tonight? He said, yep. He said, anything short of getting there in the National Guard being posted at the door. And he said, then I'm going to have to think about it pretty hard because they're probably going to have to arrest me. I'm going to have church. Well, that's reckless. That's stupid. Folks, listen to me. There's a powerful church in nations today that said they can't even be a church. God's got people all over the world. Yes, even in the Red Dragon Nation. I'm here to preach to somebody this morning. There was an interview done recently. A book was written about it. Maybe I can tell you some more about it later. They were interviewing a leader that's in the underground church in China. He said the people had become really complacent. And they said, well, what, what, was that? what was the problem? He said, because we learned our system so well. He said, we, we're still the underground church, but we learned our system so well. We learned how to come and go. and Nobody knew what we were doing. He said, we just got complacent. 
He said, and I realized that our church had become cold and indifferent. I'm talking about they're hiding every service that they're having. And he said, we become cold and complacent. And in this interview that became a book, he said, I realized in that moment that our problem was that we weren't facing enough persecution. We got too comfortable. He said, so a group of us went to the city square. And we had church service. He said, they arrested every one of us. He said, you know what happened when we got arrested? He said, the church broke out in revival again. Some of us are asking God to take it away. And God's saying, let me show you my power in the middle of it. Hey, I don't know where you're at this morning, but I believe if I wasn't ready, I'd get ready for the coming of the Lord. I got to hurry. I got to hurry. God shows his power. He shows his might. His hand is on them the entire time that they're in, in Egypt and his hand is on them. And they come walking out of Egypt and, and he's the giver and taker of life. We saw that. We see it. It's so powerful. And then they come out of Egypt and before the day is over, they're standing looking at a Red Sea. Discouragement comes when God starts moving. They look behind them and their past is pursuing them. And the first question they start asking after God's been good to them is, did God bring us out here to kill us? Moses, did you bring us out here because there weren't enough graves in Egypt? Now what are we going to do? You're going to do the same thing at this Red Sea that you did last night when the Passover happened. You're going to trust God. They come through the Red Sea. Their past is drowned behind them, starts washing up on the, on the land. The horse and the rider, can you imagine? Turn around and look, there it is. God's buried it all behind me. That's what happens when we're born again. But no sooner does their past get buried behind them. The Bible said that Miriam is dancing, shouting. The women got their tambourines out. The goodness of God. This would be a good place to start the journey. Right here. Right here. This is where it should have stayed. Right here. That they're rejoicing in the goodness of God. But 36 hours later, they come to the bitter waters of Mara. And when they get to the bitter waters of Mara, there's no tambourines. There's no dancing. There's no shouting. It's the same old thing. Did you bring us out here for us to die? Did you bring us out here for God to kill us? Did you bring us out here for God to forsake us? And for 40 years, the cycle is this. God has delivered us into this message. Did God bring us out here to kill us? 40 years. Oh, thank God for deliverance. We move out of deliverance and in a few hours... I'm going to turn my heart against God. God took Moses up into the mountain, so I'm going to start. Build my own idols. Church, I've come to preach a simple message to you today. I wonder what would have happened if on that first night when they walked out and Miriam took the tambourines out and told all the women, get your timbrels, get your tambourines, and start playing. I wonder what would have happened if for the next 40 years, every morning of their life, they would have woke up and said, this is the day. That the Lord hath made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. I wonder what would have happened if for the next 40 years they would have had revival every day and said there may be fiery serpents outside the camp but there's no serpents within this camp because God is for us. And if God be for us, who can be against us? The goodness of God is proven time after time after time after time. But the frailty and fickle nature of humanity is proven time after time after time. That God's got them in this wilderness and they cannot learn to stand on their own two feet. The anger of God where we started this morning was kindled against them. And for 40 years, they wandered in the wilderness. That word is so powerful in that verse that I read to you that God made them wander in the wilderness. That word wandering means there was no direction. Folks, I want you to imagine this with me if you would please. You're walking in the provision of God. You wake up every morning of your life and there's a pillar of cloud by day. There's manna laying on the ground, double portion on Sabbath. When you go to bed at night and you're worried about your kids getting cold, you don't have to worry anymore because you know every night there's going to be a pillar of fire. If you're like, like your pastor, sometimes you get up and just walk the floor a little bit, 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, you know. Open up that tent, look outside, there he is, the goodness of God. Still hovering over us. But with the sunrise, 
comes a report from the evil one saying God has forsaken you. Now, just, just listen to what I'm saying to you. You're literally under the cloud of the goodness of God. You've still got manna or quail in your mouth chewing on The Bible said while they were picking it out of their teeth. And an evil report's coming out of your mouth. How desperate do you have to be for something to go wrong? Please, I'm not trying to offend anybody, but some folks love drama. How desperate do you have to be for something to go wrong to be able to look up and say, yeah, there's his goodness, there's his provision, and he still brought me out here to kill me. Can I ask you a genuine question this morning? How much does God have to do for us to show us that he is for us? How much more does God have to do for us to show us that God is not against us? Well, if God was for me, then I'd walk into the land of my inheritance today. No. You're wandering in 40 years of what could have been. I'm just saying today. I believe in my heart that they could have had revival from the Red Sea until they cross over Jordan. But for some reason, it took 40 years for God to get something in their spirit to say you can finally possess the land. There are people that are here today under the sound of my voice. That it may not have been for 40 years, but you've been trying for a long time. And God's been reaching for you for a long time. But you come in and feel his presence and you walk right back out the door unaffected. You go through a trial and you come to God until the trial is over. And once you felt relief and the ministry of extraction, then God becomes a faint thought in the back of your mind. I just want to know this morning, how good does God have to be to show you that he wants you to love him? There's a lot of folks in here that understand what I'm saying. When I tell you there's people in here that are living on foxhole promises. You get buried up in a foxhole with bombs and bullets flying. You say, God, if you'll get me out of here, I'll do anything I can for you. But I want to tell you, there were a lot of soldiers that came out of that foxhole. And when they got home to mama and started having kids and working a job, they forgot their promise to God. And there's people in this place today that when you were in the darkness of the greatest trial of your life, you told God, if you'll bring me out of this, I'll serve you all the days of my life. And when the trial ended, you walked away and forgot God. But this is what I want to tell you. You're here again today. And it's because of his mercies that you are not consumed. You are here today because of the goodness of God. There is no sense in living the rest of your life wondering what would have happened if you would have gave God your best. As I close today, I want to tell you this. I've preached it all my life. My granddad used to preach it. Somebody's going to backslide five minutes before Jesus comes. You hear what I'm telling you? Somebody's going to backslide five minutes before Jesus comes. But I also believe there's going to be somebody pray through the Holy Ghost five minutes before Jesus comes. And while I rejoice in it that there's going to be many, and I say in Jesus' name, millions and billions of people that are going to come to Jesus in this end time harvest. I also want to tell you, I'm not going to wait until the end to get in. I'm going to get in right now. I'm looking for somebody to make up your mind on this Sunday morning. I'm going to serve the Lord with all my heart, my soul, my mind. Let's stand together. 40 years. When they finally make it to the promised land, they've got collateral damage of people that couldn't learn to stand. They, they turned their back on God time after time. The Lord said, well, I had to consume them. I had to get rid of it. Now you're here. Listen, I've come to preach this simple sermon to somebody today. I don't believe you've got to wait 40 years to get the victory. I believe you can have the victory when we walk in to the promised land. I'm reaching for somebody in here today and I feel this so strongly in the Holy Ghost. You've been your own worst enemy because every time you try to live for God, you'll make a mistake. Now I'm going to talk to you about the conversation that's in your mind because I can hear it today in my spirit. I don't want to be a hypocrite, so I'm not going to keep going to church. 
I make too many mistakes. I'm not going to keep going. I, I, I'm not that kind of person. When I get it all together, then I'm going to come back and serve the Lord. But I want to tell you today, you don't get good to get God. You get God to get good. I'm reaching for somebody in here today that every time you've tried to live for God, you've hit another moment of weakness right after your victory. And you've let it pull you away and pull you away and pull you away. Maybe the first time was 10 years ago. And so now today you stand in 10 years of what could have been. But let me say this to you today in the Holy Ghost. While it's true, the children of Israel could have lived in victory for 40 years. And it was 40 years of what could have been. I also want to invite you to the thought process that when they finally made it, it didn't matter what could have been. All that mattered is what was. You've let the enemy destroy your thinking process because I didn't give God the best years of my life. No, that's not true. The best years of your life are what you have left. You may have made mistakes and failed God, but you've still got breath in your lungs. You may have fallen, but you can get back up. You may have made mistakes, but our God's mercy endures to all generations. I'm reaching for you this morning. Before they sing a song, I'm asking somebody in this house today that knows pastor's preaching to you right now. You have been so worried about what could have been that it has destroyed what is. And I just want to tell you today, wow, there's so much truth that you could have enjoyed His goodness for a lot longer. That's, there's a lot of truth to that. But if you'll make up your mind today, I'm going to serve the Lord. I'm going to enjoy His presence. I may make a mistake, but when the doors of the house of the Lord come open, I'm going to march myself into the house of the Lord. And when I make a mistake, I'm going to fall on my knees and repent of my sins. I'm going to get back up and do something for God. Hey, I want to tell you, this is the generation upon whom the ends of the earth have come. God has spared us for this generation. You are the last day church. You are a generation of excellence. Let's not worry about what could have been. And let's give God the best that we can give Him this morning.